Hey everyone, and welcome to the 25th episode of the Team Builder Podcast. I am your host, Hewitt Tomlin. Uh, today's guest is Christian Hartford, and I'll get to him uh, in a second. Before that, I just wanted to make uh, an announcement on the product side of Team Builder. You've probably heard me over the last couple of months promoting our payments portal. This is our feature that allows coaches to um, essentially put programs up for sale. It's a way to, to take money online for your training, your programming, online training. And uh, the payments portal uh, used to have a commission uh, on every sale made. And what we recently did was is we actually dropped the commission. It's now uh, zero commission to sell your training programs online. Uh, you can buy a team builder plan for as little as $50 a month, and you can sell up to 50 training programs to 50 people uh, without any commissions on that. So that's the newest announcement that I wanted to make. Uh, okay, today's guest, Christian Hartford. I met Christian uh, in the DC area when he was the uh, director of performance for a large uh, training facility called the St. James. Uh, Christian then went on at 28 or 29 years old to be the head strength coach for the uh, National Olympic uh, beach volleyball teams, both men and women's. And I think we just call them the national beach volleyball team. But regardless, they went to the Olympics and the women's team brought home gold. So um, I got Christian on the podcast. He's back in the States uh, from Tokyo. And we talked about it all, talked about his journey leading up to that. And I think the biggest thing that struck me is that a lot of his athletes are uh, older, much older than he is uh, in their 40s. Um, you know, for instance, Misty May is 44 years old. She brought home gold. Christian is 31. Uh, but Christian just comes off so mature for his age. And the most important thing is that he really enjoys connecting with the athletes that he trains. Um, so they respect him. They buy in. And uh, it sounds like he has really good relationships with his athletes. So this is uh, a fun podcast. Uh, I just enjoyed catching up with Christian. I, I always liked Christian a lot um, when I knew him. And it was just fun to catch up and congratulate him on his recent success. Hey, Christian, how's it going, man? Good, Hewitt. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on. I uh, kind of invited you on short notice, but... Uh, my colleague Luke and I were just kind of keeping up with you and we were like, you know what? Christian's had a kind of a crazy couple of months. Um, we need to get this guy on the pod and just clear his head. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. It has been a crazy couple of months, so I'm looking forward to catching up. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So look, we got a lot to talk about, but I, I kind of want to just recap how you and I really met. Um, I, this was back before the pandemic a couple of years ago. And uh, uh, obviously team builders offices in DC, and then you took a job with the St. James uh, in the DC area. Yep. And that, that was when you and I first kind of met each other in person. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The St. James, that was a crazy facility for folks who don't know this. Is like, this is like, I've never seen anything like it. And the weight room was impeccable and you got that job. So like when you came on, you were probably really pumped about that. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, the, the facility is gigantic. It was what, I think 450, 50,000 square feet. It had yeah. that three, you know, the, the, the bottom level of the fitness center was called was, uh, the, the strength and conditioning area and yeah. it had two more stories of the gym. So, I mean, it was the gym itself was big, but then it also had the full size football field and soccer field, yeah. two ice rinks, a 50 meter Olympic pool, um, what six basketball courts or something like that. 
yeah uh, a gymnastics area like it, it was it was insane and it was, and it was all indoor right i mean all, all the they had an indoor turf football field everything was indoors yeah everything was indoors i mean it's a giant it's down in springfield virginia too um yeah. so i mean there there was some land for them down there but it was a it was a great thing it was a great job for me to take on um it was coming in on the ground floor and so i, I was kind of creating their strength and conditioning department and and finding a way to balance the membership driven approach that they had with, with yeah. just the fitness center, but then all of the sports that they had operating out of there, you know, they yeah. had a, a St. James soccer club, a St. James volleyball club, St. James basketball, St. James hockey. So our job was to kind of work with all of those athletes, all those youth athletes and kind of give them some sort of structure around their training protocol, which was pretty fun. Yeah, it is. So like, I mean, undoubtedly a state of the art facility, that term gets thrown around a lot. This yeah. this facility certainly was, yeah. um, I don't know if you're like com comfortable talking more about it, but like, even in that great situation with that great facility, um, you know, there were still challenges that came with that oh, yeah. particular job. Right. Oh, big time. And I think one of the biggest ones was that membership driven approach. You know, it was, it was kind of two, two separate, um, two separate approaches that they were trying to take, right? They wanted us to be really hands-on with athletes and be able to bring some big high-level athletes in there and some high school teams and stuff. But we never had the ability to tell members that they couldn't utilize that space, right? Mm -hmm. So we'd be working with a U14 hockey team with like 16 kids, you know, and right in the middle of our workout is some, you know, 50-year-old man just like getting his bench press in, right? And kind of like walking through all of our stuff. So that was the biggest issue that I would always run into is kind of just controlling that membership issue. And I mean, I guess no fault to the St. James because that's how they were making their revenue, right? I mean, they're making yeah. that monthly membership and all, all of the rates that they're bringing in there. But for me to go from, and I mean, this is kind of why I ended up taking the USA volleyball job is because I, I just, I like the sports centric approach right and i like to kind of be with the athletes and i'm a very hands-on coach and so whenever you had members kind of interrupting the workout that just really kind of pissed me off for lack of better terms so it it did. I, i'm thinking like 97 percent of strength coaches i know would flip their shit if yeah. they if a kid if a teenager in a gym shark shirt was sumo deadlifting in the middle of your team session um yeah well and especially like you know with cable machines i mean a guy would do a tricep extension and let the plate smack every single rep and it's like dude really like come on set of 12 and you have to do that <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's pretty tough okay so that that's the caveat there um yeah. Crazy man. So, I, I, okay, look, I really should have started off the podcast by saying congratulations. You just got back from Tokyo. Your beach volleyball team took home the women's team took home gold, yep. which is awesome. Um, I, Christian, I, I'm sorry that I don't know this. I know you work with the beach. Do you work yep. with the uh, court, the indoor volleyball team as well? I don't. I'm only beach, but I'm both men and women. On the oh, both men side. and women. Yeah. Okay. So USA Volleyball has a men's indoor strength coach, women's indoor strength coach, and then me with the beach program. So there's a total of three of us. Uh, between oh, teams. Yeah. that's so cool. That's great, man. So you work with both. So congrats to you, man. Congrats to the Thank you. women's team. Like, I, I don't know. It just seems like a couple of years ago, I don't know how this is how you determine success, but like a couple of years ago, we were just hanging out together, working out in the St. James. And then then now you're in Tokyo and you're, you know, taking pictures of the actual gold medal. I'm just like, it's kind of a crazy, you know, there's like two yeah. totally different places, right? It's, it's insane, man. I remember whenever I got, um, you know, I went through the interview process for, for the beach job and 
I heard about the job because I, I, I was uh, close with Tim Polo, who's the men's indoor strength coach, and Jimmy Stitch, who the, who's the women's indoor strength coach. When I was at Maryland working with their indoor volleyball team, I actually went out to California to visit these guys and just kind of learn from them for a few days. On your own volition or was that set up for you? Uh, on my own volition. Uh, I used uh, See, that. That to me is like, that's a differentiator. Yeah. Oh, and it was actually kind of funny. I was telling the story to some of the athletes um, after they got knocked out of Tokyo. We had some a um, couple drinks in the village. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but whatever. It was you can the say it. Reti- the guy was retiring after the Olympics, so I mean, we were celebrating. So, yeah. um, but I was telling the story, and um, I set it up because our continuing education budget at Maryland, you know, was X amount, and I kind of decided, you know, I would rather take this trip than try to go to these certain conferences or get these cert- certifications and stuff. So I set it up with Tim Polo and I was, I was booked, all booked to go out there. I had my Airbnb and then about a day or two before I was supposed to fly out, Tim emailed me and said, Hey, by the way, I want you to put together like a 15 minute presentation with everything you're de- doing with Maryland volleyball right now. I'm like, Holy shit. You give me two days notice. Really? Right. But so I scrambled to get, you know, we were doing stuff with the vert jump monitors. We were doing some stuff with questionnaires and, and trying to find a way to, to monitor load, which was a, a new idea for Maryland volleyball. So I put this presentation together. I go out there, give the presentation, have a really good three days with them. And then just kind of kept in touch with them, you know, for the next three years after that. Um, and then, so when 20, it was like the end of 2018, uh, Tim emailed me or, or shot, texted me and said, Hey, by the way, the, the beach job is opening up. I don't know if you're interested in applying and moving out to California, but the job will be available soon. And I was like, absolutely. And and that was the best part was like, he let me know about it, but then there was no other correspondence past that. Right. So it was like, it wasn't like I had this inside track to the job. It was right. just, Hey, here, here it is. Here's the posting apply. Yeah. But go person. earn it. Exactly. Exactly. So I ended up applying and getting that job and I started in January, 2019. And dude, ever since then, man, it's been kind of nose to the grindstone and just, um, trying to do the best possible job like ever for the, for this program. Right. And it was kind of, I know that being with a, with an Olympic national governing body and having the chance to go to Tokyo is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so I wasn't going to screw that up. So I've been kind of nose to the grindstone and, and kind of the blinders on for the past three years, getting ready for Tokyo. Yeah. I'm under this impression that like Olympic athletes are great to work with because they're Olympians. They're the best in the world. They have to be driven and motivated, but at the same time, it's also kind of hard. Um, I mean, of course you compete, uh, between Olympics, but the Olympics are the, the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, is that a misconception that, that, they're easy to work with. Did you also find yourself motivating them? Like you had to do with, you know, college students and, and it's kind of, it's an interesting job because my youngest athlete is 23 and my oldest athlete is 46. Wow. So I'm working with a very wide uh, array of, of ages and experience levels. And Uh on the men, on the men's side specifically, we had, you know, for the Olympics, you have a country quota. So you're only allowed two teams per country, right? Mm-hmm. On the women's side, we would have sent three this year. And on the men's side, it would have been a close three. But so we send four teams to each gender. On the men's side, four, uh, three of the four athletes are over 40 years old. Wow. On the women's side, our gold medalist, April Ross, she, she just turned 39. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, we have all this wide array of experience levels. So to go back to your question, you always do find yourself kind of, motivating them in some way, right. And in, in some form or fashion, the younger, uh, athletes, it's always a little more hands-on, 
right? Mm-hmm. Especially the ones that are used to the NCAA beach volleyball system, where they've always had a coach, they've always had a strength coach, always had a person or an athletic trainer, always mm-hmm. had a dietitian. Training right? table. Yeah, you try to keep that team environment. And so you're very hands-on with them. But the funny thing about these older athletes is that with beach volleyball, it's kind of been the wild, wild west for a long time where they've kind of had to make their own, where they've built their own team around them. They've had their own chiropractor. They've had their own trainer. They've had their own sports med. And now as an organization with USA Volleyball, we're trying to bring people back into the organization, right? So with those older athletes, it's much more conversational uh, of trying to figure out, okay, let's, let's find a meeting point here. Right. Where and, and that's much less motivation and much more just the communication side of things. And yeah, come to a meeting point in order to progress forward together. Yeah. Um, which but I mean, you know, the interesting thing was being with the, these athletes over the pandemic. I mean, there was a lot of motivating going on, you know, kind of the, the stay ready. So you don't have to get ready type mentality, even with yeah. the veterans. Right. Because. I mean, you're 40 years old, you have two kids and, you know, what's keeping you motivated through the, uh, through the pandemic. And uh, luckily it was me calling them once or twice a week and getting on FaceTimes and sending them workouts and doing virtual workouts with them. So, yeah, I mean, again, going back to your original question, you definitely have to keep them motivated, but the older ones specifically, there's a different level of self-motivation there and self-awareness. That's really impressive. Sounds like more of like an adult situation with the older athletes. Like let's, let's let's sit down and communicate. You don't have to use techniques or, or, you know, motivational uh, techniques with me. Let's just, let's just talk about it. Um, How old are you, Christian? 31. Is it, what's it like coaching professional athletes in their forties as a 31 year old? Interesting. Really? <laughs> um, it's it's great. And luckily they thought I was a lot older than I was whenever I took the job. You know, I took the job at, I took <laughs> the job at 29. Thing. I turned 30. Uh wow. shortly. no, yeah, I turned 29 shortly after taking the job. And when people found out I was 29, they were kind of shocked. They're like, dude, you act a lot older. I was like, that's good. That's really good news. <laughs> so yeah. um, no, but I mean it's, it's, it's really interesting. And like I said, it's a different communication level. It's a different, you use different communication tactics. Also on the personal side, you know, we, my wife and I just had our first son in end of May and to coach athletes that have kids. It's so, it's so awesome. I mean, and to see the dedication that they keep towards their sport while having a family and balancing those two things it's wildly impressive. And especially the, the women that became moms and they're still training and they're still competing. So it's this, it's an interesting thing where I, I'm blessed to always be motivated by the athletes that I coach. So we talked about motivation a little bit ago. They're motivating me to work a hell of a lot harder than anyone else, because I see what they do on the daily basis and how a 41 year old takes care of his body and trains six days a week and only takes one day off, you know? So that's the part where, it's definitely from the communication side of things and from the relationship side of things, it's much more uh, adult and much more mature. And then from the personal side of things, it's so inspirational to work with these athletes because I mean, they're doing what 1% of the world may do, but maybe one less than 1%, you know? So it's really cool working with athletes that age. Yeah. It's really interesting because most of the folks I talk to work with it's, it's high school and college. And then beyond high school and college, um, not a lot of athletes are are in their forties and raising families while they're competing professionally and yeah. training professionally. That's 
that's a pretty strange concept. I think a lot of folks who watch the Olympics, you know, could take that into account. You know, when you're yeah. young and in your twenties, it's not easy per se, but like, you know, you've heard it from a lot of folks, things change when you have kids, things mm-hmm. change when you get older, uh, to maintain that level of performance is, is pretty wild. So do you have a, a full staff of, um, uh, obviously you have athletic trainers. Do you have dietitians within the organization? Do you have the same resources that say a power five college would for these athletes? Nope. There's one of me and there's one athletic trainer. And then we utilize USOPC, um, mm. providers for sports psychology, for dietitian. Um, am I forgetting anyone? I don't think so. So we have a USOPC dietitian, USOPC psychologist, and then we have one of me and then one athletic trainer. So we're working with at any given time, 20 to 30 athletes. So, um, it's busy, it gets busy, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's from all different levels too. You know, we, you have your Olympians, then you kind of have your, what we call developmental or kind of future potential athletes. Yeah. So we are far away from a power five conference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you definitely are for, for the athletes that are in say in the developmental uh, phase. Um, what does that look like? Are they working full-time jobs and then, you know, training and competing on the side or, you know, how do they kind of make that work for themselves as they try to make it? A, a lot of them are. And, and so that's, that's something with USA volleyball that we're trying to build it more of a structure around moving forward, going into Paris is a lot of these younger athletes go from that structured system in NCAA or a structured system playing professional overseas for a couple of years in indoor and then when they transition to the beach, sometimes there's not that structure anymore, right? Kind of the, the bottom falls out and they now have to, again, find their own coach, schedule their own practice time, find their own sponsorships. Sponsorships are a huge thing for beach volleyball athletes. So yes, a lot of them do work jobs. Also, a lot of them are very active on social media, trying to get sponsors to at least get some value in kind and some recognition mm-hmm. for being a young beach volleyball player. But then for us as the, as the organization, we're just trying to build a constant framework of training of sports medicine, of psychology and of uh, nutrition around Mm -hmm. them, you know, with with those four providers. So, um, you know, they, they're probably coming into the gym anywhere from three to five days a week, whether that be for lifting recovery, treatment, what have you. Um, But outside of that, I mean, they're, they're trying to make it work. You know, we have some young athletes that tutor, um, we have some that, um, you know, work in, remotely for various companies. Uh, we, I know we have a, a very promising young athlete that does remote admissions for a college out in West Virginia, and she lives mm-hmm. in Southern California, right? So they're they're trying to make it work. And then while they're taking care of that, we're trying to give them the most support possible as, as yeah. the organization on the training side of things. But I mean, like you said, it's, it's the wild, wild west sometimes, man. I mean, beach volleyball, is it's always been like that. And it's I feel like it's going to stay like that for a little bit. So I, I imagine like a, a good part of your uh, uh, job is is facilitated remotely, right? But um, these people don't show up. These athletes don't show up to the facility every single day. They live in different areas, and they maybe have a little bit of time with you periodically. What is what is the in person versus remote aspect look like? So luckily, we have a lot of people that live in Southern California. Which okay. is good. Yeah. So, so the majority of the athletes are coming in to the facility. Um, I, I work with one athlete specifically that comes 
off the top of my head, who was an Olympian this past year in Tokyo, who actually lives out in Tallahassee. His wife is the head coach at Florida State for beach volleyball. Mm-hmm. So he he and I were doing three to four FaceTime calls or Zoom sessions a week leading up to the Olympics. He would come out to California every now and then for some in-person training. But luckily, um, it's a lot of in-person um, now, the other side of that, like you said, is that, you know, when I say in person, I may only get them for four to six hours a week based on their schedule, how much they're coming in and training. Mm. And so the flip side of that is that's a lot of education. It's a lot of education so that when they're not in the facility and they're not around me, that they have really good awareness of what they should be doing. Right. So, you know, I can't make it to all the all the practices. Right. Well, whether they're in Hermosa, Manhattan, up in Marina del Rey, what have you. And, but sending them a warm up and then taking them through a good warm up one time and then making sure okay here are all the bands and stuff you need for this pre practice warm up you know i may check in with you in 3 weeks I'll, i may be at another practice so there's an education side of things that kind of you know bridges that gap of yeah. where i can be and then what those younger athletes have going on yeah cool um in tokyo um as a strength coach what was your role on that on that trip um you know, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of parts to it, but what, when you went in, I went on the plane and you were there, what was your personal game plan as the strength coach within the staff? Yeah. So we were there for a long time. We were there from July 16th to August 7th. Yeah. Um, so with that long period of time, you know, our athletes were still training during the tournament. Yeah. So kind of how that all laid out, we got there um, on the 16th or we left on the 16th, got there on the 17th because of the time change. We started uh, match play on the 24th, right? So during that week leading up to match play, um, and, and pretty much because of COVID uh, with Tokyo, we had to submit activity plans two weeks ahead of time of where we were going to be around the city. And so luckily, the USOPC uh, bought out this sports complex, which is about 40 minutes away from the village. And that was our high performance center. So that's where we had a weight room. We had um, our sports medicine area, our massage therapy, our nutrition, um, our contrast. We had a sauna and culto up there, which was great. But pretty much that my my location were the high performance center, the hotel that I was staying at, the village, and then the competition venue where we also trained and had practices. So my, my role was to kind of bounce back and forth between scheduled training sessions where I would run the warm up or help athletes, um, with practice. Sometimes I jump in as a practice player, which is a lot of fun, uh, and super tiring, but you know, so some days it was that other days and a lot of days it was both. Then I would kind of go from the competition courts and the training courts up to the high performance center to run athletes through workouts. Um, when competition started, it was very much communicate with the athletes, see what they need. So I had some athletes that like to lift. If they play a 9 a.m. match, they want to lift that late afternoon. Mm-hmm. And that way, the next day, they have completely off. And it can be more of a recovery day. Yeah. Um, other athletes, they want to finish a match. And we would take a, a taxi straight up to the high-performance center. We would do contrast for recovery. You know, a little hot tub, cold tub, or sauna, cold tub. And then they would see the massage therapist for recovery work. Then mm-hmm. we would get dinner there together. So it was a wide array of um, responsibilities and locations, but in general, it was, you know, running an athlete through a workout, an active workout, running an athlete through recovery workout, uh, taking them up there for contrast work so that they can recover, see the massage therapist. And then uh, other than that, it was running um, training sessions uh, at the warm up courts and then warming them up for their matches, obviously, as well. 
how many athletes were you in charge of in Tokyo versus how many you're in charge of back in California? Uh, so we had eight athletes in Tokyo in total. Um, and I was working with all eight of them in, in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, I was always there for the pre-match warmups with, with every single team. You know, we try to yeah. obviously make that a full staff thing. Right. Um, normally it's probably uh, around 20, I would say. Back um, at the you know, facility. Pre-COVID, it was a little more. Uh, Pre-COVID, yeah. it was a little more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, 15 to 20, I would say. So about double plus. Yeah. So you cut your, your athlete number in half and did you feel like you were able to focus more on them to make a difference to you? Or at this point, does it matter whether you you're training eight or 20? Well, I, it was definitely hyper-focused for sure. You know, I yeah. mean, there, there are a couple of athletes that I would spend, you know, all day with, you know, we would, we would have a practice in the morning, take a taxi up to the high performance center with them. We would go through a lift. We would go through a recovery session. We would hit contrast. And that was kind of the fun part about this. I would, I would do all this stuff with them. Right. Which was a, a that's cool. Really cool. You would get in the cold tub, hot tub, all that stuff. Yeah. It was a really cool environment that we created, yeah. right. Where uh, it was very hands-on. It, it, there was a lot of relationship building there, which I thought was good for the athletes headspace. So they didn't feel like they were on an Island. It was like, Hey, go recover and I'll see you tomorrow. Dude, I'm going to say like, if you spend all day with someone and you do that week after week, that's a lot of time together. It's, it'll be pretty important that y'all get along because if for some reason you're not on the same page, that's a lot of time together, dude. 100%. And I, and I think that's why we spent so much time together was because we already did get along. Like you uh-huh. know, we have really good relationships with all the athletes that were going there. Right. Um, you know, so, so to spend a lot of time with them was really no, nothing, right. It was, it was no big deal. And it was just kind of like, you know, I think our staff has done a good job of always being around. So it didn't feel weird at the Olympics. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like a heightened alertness of, Oh, like why is everyone around? I like, I just need some time. It was kind of like, Oh yeah, everyone's around because they're always around. Yeah. Right. So I, I think we did a good job of kind of setting that tone and obviously having those relationships ahead of time so that whenever we did get to Tokyo, it was just kind of another day. Yeah. Look, th- this is not to discredit the men's team by any means at all. This is just in recognition of the women's team. Um, a lot of women won gold medals for the U S in this past Olympics, yeah. including, including your team. Yeah. And you know, that's just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the women's indoor, I mean, shout out to them. It's the first goal that they've won in their program. They, I think they took a bronze in Rio and then a silver back in London, um, which was actually the same exact trajectory as April Ross, our beach athlete that took gold this year. She was silver in London bronze in Rio when she played with Carrie yeah. and her and Alex. And, you know, it's, Dude, being around female athletes of that caliber, of that dedication, um, it's so impressive. You know, and again, not to discredit what the men do, right? Uh, I mean, we had, like I said, three out of four of our men are over 40. They played really well. I mean, to to be able to perform at that level at 40 plus years. And also, we had um, one of our male athletes test positive for COVID upon arrival. Wow. So, our one athlete, Jake was playing with a guy. He never, he has never played with before. We had to fly him over from California late about two days before competition started. And the way that these guys came together as a team and their communication and their dedication to each other in the moment and their ability to kind of say, all right, throwing all that BS out the window, let's just play ball. Like we're both really talented volleyball players. So let's just play. Yeah. And they go two and one in their pool. They're only matched they lost was to the number one team in the world. They get the number three team in the world in the first round of elimination, unfortunately lose that, you know, but the, the way that our guys competed was very impressive, but going back to the women, like we were talking about the way that, I mean, again, to be around 
athletes of that caliber and to watch these women compete and, and watch them do what they did. It's, it's a, an amazing part of the job that is, you know, that you can't put a price on that. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, back, back to your, your uh, story about the the two guys that had to play together. It, that kind of, to me is a big part of the definition of a professional athlete. Yes, they are physically elite, but like a professional is mentally elite. Um, you know, it's a challenge. It's a hardship. I'm a professional. I work through it. It kind of sounds like that's, that's what happened there in that case. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, Jake, so, so it was Jake's partner that tested positive. So you, obviously he's going through a lot of the adversity in his head, who we called in Triborn. He's going through the excitement of, holy crap, I'm an Olympian. Right? I, get, I get to play in the Olympics. This is amazing. Yeah. But there were two stories from Jake during that time uh, that were just amazing. In my opinion, they, they were actually Jake and Tri were able to play a mock match against Russia, which is the number two team in the world. Uh, the day before competition started, right? And it was it, it was a way for the, the Tokyo organizing committee to kind of get the hang of the whole competition set up in the stadium, right? Mm-hmm. So, they're, they're, so they go and they play this match and Try is super nervous, right? And they, you know, maybe it's, let's say it's 9-7 in the first set, right? And there's they call a timeout and they go sit at the bench and Try is on the bench and he goes something along the lines of, I just can't, I can't dig a ball. I just, I'm not seeing anything. And Jake looks at him right away and goes, dude, you're siding out well enough to win a gold medal right now. The digs will come. Just keep doing what you're doing. I got your back up at the net as a blocker. Just do what you do. Keep siding out and we're going to be fine. And it was like that immediate reaction to your only teammate kind of having this doubt in his head. Mm -hmm. He said that try kind of immediately just like puffed up his chest. And he was like, Oh yeah, I'm I'm actually playing pretty good. This this is great, mm-hmm. right? And so that that was that was the one story, and then that so that was the mock match, and then their first pool play match, which was against a really talented uh, team from Italy. They were in warm up, and they were trying to find like the perfect set, right? They they were trying to kind of talk through it and say, oh no, put the ball here, put the ball there. This is how I like it. I like it a little higher, right? And then I guess whenever they went into the stadium, Jake just looked at Try and he said, Try, do you think you're good at volleyball? I was like, yeah, he goes, exactly. We're both really good at volleyball. Let's not overthink this thing. Put the ball up in the air and we're going to hit the shit out of it. Right. Just let's, let's simplify it. Right. And it kind of took this weight off of Tri's shoulders. And I think they got out to like an eight, one run in the first set of that match. Right. So it was that type of veteran leadership and that veteran communication from a 46 year old and Jake that again, as a 31 year old strength coach, I I hear these stories and I I see it live and I'm like, this is more impressive than any victory or, or W that you get on a piece of paper, right? Like it yeah. was, it was amazing to be around. Yeah. Those interact, you're in a unique situation. You can see these interactions. I think this is the kind of stuff that fans crave. You know, we, we want to see how the players talk to one another between plays between uh, you know, in moments in the game, because that's the stuff that kind of seems like, will most materially impact the outcome of the competition. I mean, yes, they train hard. Yes. They have coaches or strategies, there's tactics, but how teammates interact with one another, does it get, you know, is that like not just the essence of sport? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why people like shows like hard knocks and 24 seven so much, right? I it's love that, it. Yeah. It's that behind the scenes type stuff. It's that communication type stuff. And, you know, we talked about that earlier. That's, that's what makes it so inspiring for me to work with these athletes. Cause I see stuff like that. And I'm like, 
dang, man, you get, you just handled that so well. And, and, you know, your partner loses out in the Olympics, you pick up this new partner and it's like, you, you were great. You were phenomenal in that situation. Right. And so again, that kind of, you look in the mirror and you're like, okay, how can I handle adversity like they did? Right. So that's, that's the super cool stuff to be around. And uh, yeah, it's a privilege. Yeah. That's cool. I, I'm actually going to switch back to our, our previous conversation about the, the uh, women's success. It, yeah. You know, I think it's like pretty objective at this point that America's female athletes have uh, like disproportional success compared to other countries. Yeah. Um, I think it kind of started with our women's team doing really, really well back in the nineties. I mean, you know, you've just seen, and then this past Olympics was a good testament to that. I think 60% of our gold medals were won by our women Olympians. Do you have any opinions on why America is, is, is so successful at promoting um, women athletes and, and success in women's sports? I, I mean, I don't know if I have any different opinions on it, but it's a very powerful thing to see the success of past generations and then younger women know that they can follow along those lines, right? Yeah. You know, Allison Felix got a huge profile, you know, um, and it's it's young track stars like Sydney McLaughlin, I think that's how you pronounce it, that can see Allison Felix compete. And then she knows, hey, I can do this too, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's people like Carrie Walsh and Misty May that, set that tone throughout the early 2000s when they got those three consecutive golds where the young female athletes that I'm working with now can see, I mean, even April Ross is 39, right? But she would watch the veterans and know I can, I can make this run. Right. And it's kind of cool now to have a woman like April and her partner, even Alex, who's 31, who was like, yeah, I remember watching her in London. Right. I, I remember watching her compete when I was in college, go for that gold medal in London and ended up getting the silver. Right. So I think it's this um, I, I think we do a really good job of profiling the female athlete. And I know there's huge, you know, a lot of conversation about, you know, whether they get enough TV time or whether, whether we do promote it enough. But I, I truly think that we promote it to the point and there can obviously be more, but we promote it to the point where younger athletes can see these successful female athletes and know that they can also do this and make that run. Um, and I also think, you know, like the women's soccer team, for example, right. I mean, yeah. the, the, the powerful impact that they've had the last, and what it's been like eight to 10 years of just constant domination. Right. Yeah. And they're also at the forefront of kind of the the women in sports movement, whether it be equal pay, whether it be equal TV time, what have you. I just think it's a really powerful conversation right now. And I think that um, our female athletes uh, are empowered and they can kind of, you know, walk with a lot of confidence because they're really freaking good at what they do. And they bring a lot more to the world than just their success in the game. They bring a, a, a very powerful voice as well, which is impressive. Yeah, I, I I totally have to agree. I mean, it's been. I remember like the first memories of uh, a, a, the Olympics and/or the World Cup was with the women's soccer team. You know, back in the the late '90s, and that stuck out to me as a young male athlete. So that's, you know, that ought to be a testament to to the history behind the the U.S. and and how we compete uh, with female athletes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, along the same lines, let's talk about, you know, our, our families. Um, you're, I saw, I, I noticed that your um, uh, Instagram at one point switched and you started the uh, dad strength podcast. Um, I did. Yeah. I guess that coincided with your, your first child um, yep. that uh, you had not too long ago. Right. 
Yeah. So Jack was born May 28th, but I started that podcast back in December, I think is when oh, I started really? recording. Yeah. And I had, the, I had the idea because whenever I found out that Laura was pregnant and we were going to have our first kid, it was like this, holy crap, we're having a kid moment, right? Like this is nuts. Yeah. Knowing how many people I worked with, whether they were athlete or colleagues that have children, I started having that conversation. So I started having the conversations with guys like Jake Gibb and Nicholas Senna um, saying like, hey, you guys have two or three kids. How the heck did you manage that with all your travel? And then I thought about all the younger strength coaches like myself, right? Or or people that may have just had their first kid or they're going to have a kid or they want to start a family. I think one of the biggest things that we hear about in strength and conditioning is that it may not be the most sustainable profession, whether it be because of pay, whether it be because of hours on the job. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we know that there's a high burnout rate in this profession. So I wanted to start having the conversations with these coaches and athletes of how do you, how do you make it sustainable, right? How do you have a family and work a lot, but, but what does that look like? And also in my mind, you know, we were talking about communication earlier, what are the parallels between communicating with your athletes and then communicating with your kids, right? Are there lessons you can take from parenting that you can apply to coaching and vice versa? So that that's what kind of made me want to start that podcast. So I think I put out maybe 11 or 12 episodes before Jack was even born. Um, And then after, after Jack was born and the Olympics were like five weeks after that, then I just kind of took some time off from that because life was getting a little crazy. Um, But yeah, I'm looking forward to diving back into that and kind of getting some episodes. I have a couple lined up, which is awesome, but I think it's uh, it's been a fun hobby for me to do. And I think it's been really valuable conversations getting out there. Yeah. So what was the podcast, just a a formal way of you, you know, trying to learn from other people. Is that the idea behind it? What kind of motivated you to start it? Yeah, I, th- I think so. But then I also think it's a way to get those conversations out there, you know, and I realize it's a very niche podcast, you know, yeah. kind of targeting young fathers or, or young strength coaches that want to become fathers and mothers. Actually, I had a couple moms on there and they've been mm-hmm. amazing, amazing interviews. Um, for any young female strength coaches, there's an episode with Becky Bonaventura from Rutgers. Who just I know that first. Yeah, I mean, she was an unbelievable interview. She brought so many, so many great things to the table as a new young mom. And I think I interviewed her shortly after she started coming back to work. So there was a lot wow. going on with her. So that was so much fun. But it, it was a, it was a way for me to take all of this information, put it into a platform that other coaches can access. I, Personally, I, I like I like podcasts like this where we're talking about a bunch of different stuff other than training. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was like, you know what? I think there's room for this in the profession, not another training podcast, but something that's a little more directed towards life and yeah. that personal side of stuff. So I think that's um uh, look, I, I think you're right to feel motivated to get those conversations out there. Uh, I'm an expecting dad. You know, my boy is coming in October. Nice. And, Congrats, uh, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. And, and I'm pretty open and honest, but you know, then saying that I'm nervous, I'm, of course I'm super excited, but you know, I've, my wife and I've been married or dating for almost a decade now. So, you know, introducing a new person to the family, I'm definitely nervous about the way my life will change. Yeah. Um, and you know, I started reading, um, you know, books in like the dad genre. Right. And, and I kind of didn't feel like I was kind of getting the whole picture, uh, for some reason, uh, I felt a little short changed and, uh, I, I definitely didn't sense that there was like a lot of vulnerable, you know, conversations out there. And, um, I, I just felt like, you know, telling people, guys, I guess that's the way I relieve my stress is just getting my thoughts and feelings just kind of out there. Even if I don't find a solution, just kind of share them out helps a little yeah. bit. 
And um, yeah, so, you know, I, I think, uh, I think what you're doing is really cool. And uh, I think there is room for that because it's not always a feel good story. It, I think it's cool to hear people talk about the challenges and, and, you know, how they overcame them or maybe didn't overcome them. And maybe that's part of the equation as well is that you, you just have to accept some things that uh, are not always going to get resolved or conquered. And that's part of it. But then you hear some pretty consistent themes too, which is, you know, no matter how much changes, um, you, no one ever talks about turning it back in, you know, yeah. they love their kid. They love their new life. And it's, yeah. it's always worth it. it. That's like the consistent theme, right? I think two really cool things that, that have been consistent themes in those conversations are one, um, the importance that these coaches have put on maintaining their relationship with their spouse, like, mm -hmm. like almost every single person was, yeah, no, we take a very intentional effort towards maintaining the marriage as a husband and wife and not just being parents, yeah. right? So, you know, Donnie Mabe talked about that a ton on his on his episode. You know, he was saying they make it maybe like, I think two or three times a year, you know, once a year, they go on a big vacation together, just he and his wife, right? Mm -hmm. But then like maybe once a week or, or twice a month, they're going out on a date night and they're just telling the kids, hey, mom and dad are going out. And we'll see you tomorrow probably because we're going to get back at like midnight, right? And they just don't have that time. So I think that was one really cool theme. And then another cool theme that Jason Palura, who's the director at Purdue, actually brought yeah, I know up Jason. Yep. Was, um, was letting your kids know why, like that you are going to work. Like, like don't try to cover it up and, and say, oh, buddy, I, I wish I could stay home. I'm sorry. But saying like, hey, you know, I, I do have to go to work. I, I have a job I love and I'm doing it to support the family, right? Like bringing them in on that kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. So it's not always dad's leaving, but it's like, oh, dad's dad's going to help the family. Go, Dad's going to support the family and dad's going to do something that he absolutely loves. Mm -hmm. So making sure the kids know that and kind of the details, I think those have been two really cool themes um, that have come from those conversations. I love that, man. I think it wasn't, I think the first time someone told me that was pretty recently the, the, uh, to the first point, Kevin Vanderbush. I don't know if you know him. He's a high school strength coach. He's a big part of the NHS SCA. Uh, I saw him at the NHS SCA national conference this summer. And uh, he's just such like a, he's full of rich wisdom, but he's also the guy that doesn't go around just you know, giving it out, you just, you have to go ask him. Right. Yeah. So of course I always ask him stuff when I see him and he said, you have to remember your kid is going to be the center of your universe until, but they're also going to leave. And then you have a family, you have a relationship that you have to maintain for the rest of your life, even after your kid grows up. So he's like, don't forget about your spouse. Um, it's, it's your relationship all of you together and then it's your individual relationship with your child and then it's your individual relationship with your spouse yep. your partner and um yeah you can imagine for for me the first time hearing that i was just like man it makes so much sense yeah because um, you, you start thinking about other friends that you might have grown up you might have observed other families where that wasn't the case where the parents kind of did it for the kids but maybe they kind of lost hold of one another and then you didn't really know or maybe even recognize it until you heard someone say that. Yeah. And that, that's been a huge help with us because our mother-in-law has been helping us out. You know, my, my wife's parents live up in Portland, Oregon. And mm -hmm. so it's a short, you know, and they're both retired. So it's a short trip for them to come down and help out. And almost every time that they're in town, Laura and I go on a date together and we try to get out of the house and um, go enjoy each other's company. And um, I know one of my athletes was telling me this. He said, make sure your wife knows that she's more than just a mom. 
right? And obviously being a mom is great, right? But, you know, even for, you know, like you'll be a dad, but you're still a business owner, right? And then you're still a husband to your wife, right? For my wife, she's still, you know, one of the leading salespeople in Southern California in her profession. And then she's still my wife as well as a mom, right? So making sure that they can kind of hang on to, those identities. And, and I think that empowers them to not just be tunnel vision only towards the kid, but you kind of maintain um, everything else that's going on. Sorry, the hotel phone is going off. Yeah, no, it's okay. You've been staying in hotels a lot lately. So yeah, I guess it was inevitable. Um, yeah. What, like a month in Tokyo and then you're visiting family. Now you're visiting a friend at a wedding, but you travel a lot for your job anyway. Right. Don't you, don't you travel for competitions over the yeah, course? Yeah, we of the do. Year? Um, yeah, I've I've been to more countries from this job than I ever have before. I took this job, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we we were in Germany and Switzerland and Tokyo my first year, um, and then we had the COVID year, obviously. And then this year we were in um, Qatar, New Mexico, or Mexico, not New Mexico, Qatar, Mexico, and um, and Tokyo as well. Wow. Olympics, obviously, yeah. So it's been a lot of fun traveling like that and um, seen some amazing places and been exposed to some amazing cultures, which have been super cool. I guess it'd be difficult just because of, of COVID. But I, I guess your wife doesn't get to tag along on these trips. You probably keep busy anyway on these trips, don't you? Yeah. The, the trips are super busy. Um, and honestly, they're, they're kind of to expensive areas a lot of times, you know, uh, like yeah. the place we went in Switzerland is it's called Stad and it is uber expensive and uber nice, but, for the lucky thing is I told Laura after the fact, I was like, Hey, I know for a fact, we have to go back there. Like sometime uh, later in life, we have to, so you're just there. scouting all these locations. You're like, babe, don't worry. You don't have exactly. to come. I'm just scouting them out. I'll, I'm going to curate the best locations around the world and we'll go eventually. Exactly. I'll be the travel planner after that. So <laughs> it's, yeah. But that, that part of the job has been a lot of fun. It's been cool to see the world, except Back in March when we were in Qatar, I actually tested positive for COVID and got stuck there for two weeks. I saw that, man. I mean, Qatar is like a nice place, right? Isn't it? Isn't it like a pretty upscale uh, country? Yeah, it is. And honestly, they hooked they they put me in a really nice hotel suite for the. Two oh, really? Weeks. Yeah, and I. I well, I sucks, but at least that's at least you're there and not you know I don't know. Uh, at least I'm not in like a single room with just one bed and no walking space, right? Like, right, when it's like, you know, yeah, I don't know. It was like an apartment style setup. And I, I calculated that it was 73 trips from window to window to walk a mile. So I would wow. just do that. I would just do that every day to pass the time. <laughs> that sounds like, I, I would have guessed like a thousand trips. It must have been a decent sized room. It was a decent sized place. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, you know, I, I've seen it people quarantining two weeks at a time, CrossFit athletes having to do it. It looks rough, man. Like, yeah, it was, it, doesn't um, look cool. it was, it was this weird thing. So like at first, you know, all the athletes and everyone go back to California, I'm stuck in Qatar and I feel like I'm missing something. Right. So I'm like all on top of my emails, on top of my communication, reaching out to athletes. And then I kind of hit this point, maybe like five or six days in where I was like, you know what? The athletes have everything they need. I sent them their programs. They can ask questions. I'm going to treat the rest of this kind of like a, just uh, some me time, right? So like I dove into some TV shows. I meditated. I journaled. I kind of like took it as a time where I was like, you know what? I can actually really capitalize on taking care of myself right yeah. now rather than always being stressed out about the situation. 
Yeah. So I thought that after I made that kind of switch, it actually wasn't that bad of a time at all. <laughs> That's good. That's like self-care, you know, take, take yeah. advantage of self-care. That's a great yeah. way to look at it. Um, I, I only hope I, I would have the strength to do that if I ever had to uh, quarantine for, for two weeks. I'd have to, you know, get you on the phone to teach me because I, I feel like maybe I'm selling myself short, but I feel like I would just uh, not do very well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it took, it took a few days, but then actually one of the things that was really cool that came out of that was I started writing daily letters to my son. He wasn't even born yet, but I was like, you know what, this would be a cool thing for him to read. So I would think of kind of like lessons or, or things that I was thinking of during that time period. Uh-huh. And I would just, I would, my handwriting sucks. So I typed it up, you know, it would maybe a half a page to a page in Microsoft word each. And it was just kind of like this cool recording of, you know, now when I, I sometimes, you know, whenever he's older and I say, yeah, I got stuck in Qatar for two weeks. And he's like, there's no way that happened. I'm like, yeah, here you go. Here are the letters I wrote you <laughs> during that time. So I think that's part of be pretty a very thoughtful, sentimental thing to do. Yeah, well, honestly, I mean, how else in the past 14 days? So again, my mind went to some interesting places, but it was pretty productive. Yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, um, we're coming up on an hour. You know, I I don't run this thing like a Joe Rogan podcast. You know, we just kind (laughs) of we get to the point and and move on with our lives. But uh, dude, I I, again, I just can't believe, you know, when I when I met you and uh, and then just how far places take you. And I just wanted to understand, you know, how it happened. And it sounds like like when you were at Maryland and you built, it sounds like you built a relationship with some people at a place that, um, you know, you would enjoy, uh, working and being a part of, and you did it on your own, your own self self initiative. And I think that's my personal takeaway from this podcast is that, um, you know, a little, a little bit of self initiative goes a long way. And in your case, it looks like that that's certainly the case, right? Yeah, 100%. Uh, And we know this profession is a lot about networking, right? We we know that. That's why we go to conferences and clinics all the time. But it's also about staying in touch with those people. And I think it's also about building a meaningful relationship, right? Where where you're kind of exchanging value back and forth. Mm -hmm. You're not just, you know, you don't just meet somebody to sometime ask them for a job in a couple months. I'm I'm just checking in. Hey, I'm just checking in. Like, yeah, I understand. Exactly. So I think that's the most important piece there. And um, yeah, I mean, for, for young coaches, just be proactive with that. You know, don't sit around and wait for the opportunities to come, go get the opportunities. They're out there. So, yeah, I love it, man. And it was good to talk to you, dude. Good to catch up. Yeah. I haven't seen you in person in a couple of years. So I hope that's the case soon that a clinic or a conference more than likely, but look forward to that. That would be great, man. I'm looking forward to it. And thanks for having me on today. This was awesome catching up. No, this is great. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon, man. All right. See you, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.